Happy Monday, my little Liberty Lions, and welcome back to Lions of Liberty, the best way to start your week possible here on the flagship Lions of Liberty program. And if I sound like I have a mix of excitement and fear in my voice, it's because the Democratic debates are returning this week. And uh, we have pledged to watch them all, so you don't have to, although you can if you like. Uh, Entirely up to you on that one. But we watch every single one of them, and we immediately record a drunken reaction show. We drink... I drank during the whole debate myself, uh, and we uh, immediately record a reaction show. We live stream those live to our Patreon supporters. Uh, so the best way to see that as soon as it happens is to join the Lions of Liberty Pride, our support group on Patreon. Our support group makes it sound like it's an alcohol thing, but it's not, although it kind of is. Anyway, uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Liberty. Now for a limited time only, or maybe forever, I don't know, we haven't decided, but for now, we have a $2 entry level um, level, a $2 tier you can join at, and at that tier, you don't get any of the uh, bonus audio or video stuff that we normally put out, but you do get to join our secret Facebook group, and that is where we're going to be live streaming uh, these special events. So you do get to interact with us a little bit more, uh, get some of the behind-the-scenes talk that goes on in that Facebook group, as well as get access to these live streams. So it's a good way to dip your toe in, send us a couple bucks, two, literally a couple bucks, and help us fund your favorite libertarian program, Lions of Liberty. And I will, of course, drop a link to the Patreon over in our show notes, which you can find today conveniently located at lionsofliberty.com slash 411. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Hello, my Liberty Lions, and with me today is the executive director of Crowdfunded Government, and his name is Theodore. Theodore, are you ready to roar? Let's roar. I didn't even realize this until I was saying it out loud, that, that how that rhymes. Theodore, ready to roar. It's, it's almost like I planned it, but I didn't. <laughs> this was a partnership meant to be. It, it really was. And you always go by Theodore? You don't, you don't, you don't go by Theo ever? <laughs> the great thing is nobody else goes by it, so everybody go. knows who I am, yeah. And it wouldn't rhyme with Roar if you went by Theodore. So <laughs> this, this really works out great. Uh, now, Theodore, first off, before we do a deep dive into this concept you've come up with, this concept of crowdfunded government, which uh, some of our listeners will already be triggered by even the word government being in there, uh, but we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into it in a second. But first, I just want to get the, an idea of how you first took interest in politics and government overall. When did this all start for you? About a decade ago, I studied political science and social policy in college, and the biggest question to me has always been, how can we deliver government services that people actually want, and obviously delivering the services that they supposedly need, and it sort of spiraled into a thought of this involuntary taxation, and exactly why we're paying 100% of our taxes for 100% of the programs. Wouldn't it be better if we did something different? And that has slowly grown into this idea. Was there a specific moment or, I don't know, maybe a certain teacher you had, anything that actually you can think of that sparked this specific idea that made you go from just sort of thinking about how we can do things different to actually saying, oh, wait, no, I have the idea. I can actually do this differently. Yeah, I was complaining about politics in college and my roommate said, well, why doesn't everybody just pay for the government programs that they want and pay the amounts that they need? And I said, oh, that's that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. We need taxes. All these programs are important. What happens if the important programs don't get paid for? So my credit does go to the college roommate who 
originally said the idea to me. Not that he came up with it, right? We've all thought this when we're paying sure. our taxes. And when he sort of came up with this idea, you objected to it at first. So what made you eventually go from you know bringing up these objections that we just can't do this or that for whatever reason, just because it's the way things are? Uh, at what point did you actually start realizing, wait, maybe maybe he's kind of right? <laughs> you just start to ask yourself, what does the word important government program mean? And the more you dissect that thought and that objection specifically uh, is how that slowly happens. So that's the reason why I'm never upset whenever people's first reaction is that this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard because I tell them I was with you at one point. I agree. This is really a stupid idea until you actually think about it and consider the alternative, which is the status quo. That's such a great way to, I think, approach conversations like this when you bring up a, a radical new idea to somebody or you know some some crazy thought that just sounds ridiculous to them when when they ra- raise that same objection. Well, that sounds ridiculous. You can say, yeah, I agree. I felt the exact same way. This totally sounds ridiculous until you think about it. So would you mind listening to me for a minute? <laughs> yeah, the, the best way to have a dialogue is to understand both sides of, de- of a debate. And if you can't understand who the, what the person you're talking to believes, then you're just talking to a brick wall. So yeah, it's very helpful to be able to tell somebody, I understand you probably have some very typical objections to this idea. Let's review them really quick. Sure. And you know what those objections are because you had to go and break them down yourself in order to create this idea. So uh, we'll get into more of these objections that you, that you commonly hear, but why don't we get into sort of the uh, the nuts and bolts of this thing? What exactly is this concept of crowdfunded government? How does it work? Break it down for us. The idea of a crowdfunded government starts with politics as it is now. We have politicians, we have voting, we have the Constitution, we have the Republic, we have a litany of government services and people that administer them. The twist with a crowdfunded government is simple. The amount of money that you pay should be a voluntary amount. There should be no involuntary taxes. And essentially, as the system continues in which people are paying voluntarily what they want, for the services that they want, over time, the government programs will eventually represent exactly what the people want for exactly the amount that they're willing to pay. Well, that does sound crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. What, what about the important programs, Mark? What about the important programs? So let, let's let's think about kind of uh, what most people view as are the most important programs of government. And depending who you talk to, if you talk to a conservative, they might say uh, national defense or the military. If you talk to a bleeding heart lefty, they might say helping the poor. So uh, just pick one. I'll pick one. I guess I'm the host. I should do it. What about just, just the, the welfare stuff? You know, forget like a lot of the stuff that libertarians would say are the, you know, the common, um, you know, the common necessities of government. And, you know, at least minarchist libertarians that would concede, you know, certain things like national defense, private property protection. But why don't we just dive right into how a progressive might view government as just this organization that is there to help people. And I think the common objection I get when just talking about sort of voluntary programs and how to help the poor through charity and that sort of thing is, well, people just won't do it. They won't do it because there's people are selfish. So why would people voluntarily contribute to helping people that are in a lesser situation than them because uh, they're not forced to do it, so they don't have to. So why should they? Well, you said the word right there, charity. Charity is the biggest, uh, the, the biggest answer to that objection, which is people are too selfish. All right, well, hold up. How do charities exist? How is it the fact that billions of dollars every year are voluntarily given by people to causes that they think are valid? So charity is the easiest way to overcome that objection. And the other one would be if this person, this this hypothetical person is telling you that it's so important that the government provide the social safety net, 
but that everybody's too greedy. Well, the question would be, you would pay for it, right? Of, of course, of course. Welfare and uh, social services are very important. Well, exactly. So at least one person is going to be paying for these services. Except that person might say, you know, well, I don't make enough money. I can't really afford to help people. It's it's really these billionaires that make a ton of money that have all this extra money. They're the ones that we need to be funding us, and they're not going to go onto your little crowdfunded thing and start start helping poor people. Uh, the, the most important thing for these, I guess, if, if we were going to use this class-based discussion, the people with the most money have the most to lose if the system doesn't succeed. The system has to allow for people to come up out of poverty, not starve in the street, and eventually become productive employees and consumers for the economy to work. So I've, I've, never, I've never understood why people think that there's this class of people who live in a bubble who don't succeed if society – somehow would succeed if society failed. It's such a strange way to look at the arrangement that we have. What are some of the other objections that you first brought up to, I guess, to yourself when you, when you heard this concept that you were able to overcome as you thought about things deeper? Well, the, the, I guess it ties into that, that sort of discussion of welfare. It's just that, but what about important programs? Because there's so many important programs, and the important is always underlined and in quotes. What about these important programs? There's so many of them. And the more that I thought about it, that's where you start getting into the discussion that I was starting earlier in regards to the definition of the word important. Because if something is important, people will make it a priority to make sure that it's a, that it is dealt with appropriately. So a lot of the a lot of the objections the more you just talk them out and realize the definitions of words and the way that society operates and the things that people do find important a lot of the objections answer themselves. How do you see a sort of crowdfunded government functioning differently than our current government because you're not necessarily proposing getting rid of any particular program or department or anything like that. You're just saying we should fund this in a, uh, you know, more a voluntary way without using violence, without pointing guns at each other. Instead, just having people fund the things that they feel are important. So as a result of that method of funding, how do you see the, the actual functions of government uh, operating as compared to now? The biggest difference that I see is lobbying. So currently, the way that government programs are, uh, are proposed and ultimately funded is largely through the use of lobbyists and special interests. Their job is to convince politicians to have programs and have funding in place for those programs. So that works perfectly fine in an involuntarily funded system. That's the reason why I really like the idea of a voluntarily crowded, crowdfunded system, because lobbying would actually work in reverse. So currently the lobbyists tell the politicians what, we should, what they should spend our money on. And in a voluntarily crowdfunded system, it'd be the system of the politicians asking us and getting lobbyists involved to advertise to us to convince us that our money is needed somewhere. And you can even imagine those old school fundraisers where you got the phone banks and you got the big uh the big thermometer that, that goes red higher up as more money is collected. I mean, these are the sorts of these are the sorts of ways that money should be raised for government. These are the ways that if if money is taken by force, there is absolutely no worse of a way to fund any sort of a program. So that's the biggest difference that I see is lobbying goes from uh, people stealing your money, uh, convincing politicians to steal your money, and put it in reverse. 
the lobbyists must convince me that this new fighter jet program is going to be awesome and make us a lot more safe. And I'm looking forward to hearing it. Well, then that raises a, a, a question of considering the system we have in place now where there is so much lobbying. And I think a lot of these uh, organizations, they might see your crowdfunded idea and say, well, Jesus Christ, in this in this scenario, we're not going to we're not going to get money. We get money because we, we have lobbyists and we have government contracts. So how can we get from the current system we have and, uh, you know, all the powerful lobbyists and organizations that have such control over our government? Why on earth are they ever going to? allow politicians that pretty much they own, um, you know, due to this lobbying to create this new system, this crowdfunded government. How can we possibly get there from where we are right now? Well, you're definitely right that the entrenched interests at the highest levels of state and federal government have a vested interest in keeping things the way that they are. Now, I believe that we can co-opt these interests onto our side, but that might be a little discussion for a little later. Uh, the building blocks for uh, voluntarily crowdfunded government uh, I'm a believer in pragmatism and incrementalism and very small victories eventually leading to great outcomes. So small steps. The first small step that I recommend and I'm trying to see if we can get it to happen is in take a county, take a city, a small percentage of your already involuntarily collected taxes, whether they're property, income, that sort of a, a tax being taken, you are allowed to direct a small percentage of it. And that might increase the interest in the idea of people having a greater voice, a direct voice in their uh, government in terms of the money that's spent. And if 5% goes on for a few years, there's going to be one of two outcomes. Either why, do, why don't we do 10% or this is a terrible idea. We need them to tell us exactly what to spend our money on. So I see it as an experiment that you would do at the smallest levels of government. And I see the idea spreading like wildfire because you can imagine one county next to you allows the people to spend 10% of their property taxes and distribute it to different programs. And the other county takes 100% and says, you know what, we know better than the people do. I feel like over time that idea spreads if I'm right. This is really um, blowing my mind as we have this conversation because you're you're reminding me so much of someone who I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with yet and his organization, but his name's Dan Johnson. He run, he runs an organization named We Do Better. He's been on the show a couple of times, and that is actually what his organization does. They go around to these local uh, areas and they try to enact legislation to do ex literally exactly what you're saying to take small amounts of tax money and allow people to instead of you know being forced where to send it to actually send it to other organizations, charitable organizations in their local communities. And I believe. I believe, because I didn't have this information in front of me before we started, I believe this has actually happened uh, in Arizona. I believe there was a small program for this. So I, I, are you familiar with any of these efforts that have been kind of brewing, I guess, side by side with you here? Not only that, but Mr. Johnson and I have been in communications many times. <laughs> and um, uh, the, the he actually, he and I had a, a strategic discussion in regards to he and he and the people that he worked with had sort of some different directions that they were considering going. And surprisingly enough, uh, crowdfunded government, this idea was one direction. They had a different way of describing it, yeah. but this was one direction that they saw it improving society. But yeah, the decision that they made ultimately, which was more palatable and easier to sell, which is there should be a direct one for one dollar deduction from your taxes that you should be allowed to allocate towards charities that the, the state government has decided that are acceptable 
and uh, acceptable charities. So essentially in places like Arizona, a few other states, you're allowed to take a, a, a small amount of that money and give it to charities. And the, the idea that Mr. Johnson has, which is really great, is that there are many charitable organizations that do the same thing the government does, but they do it better. And that's where the, the we do better idea comes from. Right. So, yeah, he, he and I have been in plenty of discussions about that. And that actually sort of ties into the idea of sort of a future vision that I've always had in this. The direction always goes in this direction when I talk with uh, with anarchists and minarchists, which is if why would you continue to enforce the monopoly of the state on all of these services? And I've always said, well, I, I don't believe in that. So for example, if somebody's offering a better snowplow program than the government, I don't see a reason why that non that that either for profit or non profit snowplowing organization can't take over a part of the city services. There's so many success stories when um, some parts of government are privatized. And I think this voluntarily crowdfunding government idea actually could allow that to be shown much easier. If you have these transparent budgets and it's explaining what the government is currently doing and uh, outside the state actors step in and say, hey, you know, we could do this. Uh, we could do it much more efficiently. Um, so that, that's also a direction that I'm always happy to go with this discussion. Um, I, I don't advocate directly for it, but if that were an outcome, I would have to allow it. I'm a believer that the people should get what they want to pay for. So do you believe that that's kind of change that you're proposing in how government, well, yeah, I guess in how government is funded. To, I, I think a lot of people listening, the, the reason I hesitate, I think a lot of people listening uh, based on, you know, a lot of libertarian or anarchist definitions of government would actually say what you're describing isn't even government. So I guess that's one question is why you choose to call this government, because I think a lot of people would say, well, once it's not coercive, you know, you're no longer describing government as, as it exists today. Uh, you're describing something much closer to sort of an, an anarcho-capitalist society where people are choosing where their money goes for different services, but you're still sort of framing it in this concept of government. So, so why do you make that decision to do that? Well, I think a lot of ANCAPs like the idea, and at the same time, a lot of ANCAPs hate the idea because it has the word government in it. So you are, you're describing my daily life, which is people bombarding <laughs> me, telling me that this is not government because government has to be coercive. And I actually object to that idea um, the only thing that I can tell you is that this is how government has been done for 10,000 years. It's always been you have or tens, tens of thousands of years. Uh, I'll go back in my history books and look, look for the exact answer. But essentially, the model has always been the same. There's always been a king and the king has his programs and he needs your money. And if you don't pay that money, you're dead. So that's what government has been. And there's no reason that it needs to be. If you go check out the definitions of government from any of the dictionaries, nowhere does it say that it has to be funded coercively. That's just how it's done. Now, in terms of why did I choose crowdfunded government? Because at the, the, the time that this idea really came about, was uh, a crowdfunding wasn't even an idea uh, when, I, when we were first discussing it. So I didn't even have a words to describe it. And then crowdfunding came about and I said, oh my gosh, this, what I'm thinking of is crowdfunding. Cool. So we're crowdfunding the government. And then I think the other reason why it's a, it's the best name for the system, although Mark, I'll take any ideas, man, um, is because it's not always about convincing the radicals on Twitter. Cause I obviously I hang out with a lot of ANCAPs, hang out with a lot of anarchists, hang out with a lot of minarchists and collapsitarians. Right. And they, they are not necessarily my main focus or my main audience. My target audience is the bread and butter, red, blue, 
Democrat, Republican, just standard political voter pulling a lever. That's the person that I'm trying to get the message out to because that's the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people are typically voting individuals or I guess not voting, which is the, the real another conversation we could start up. But that's really what I'm trying to do is I tried to create the simplest way to describe the message. And crowdfunded government is the best I could come up with. Now, is it a government if it doesn't steal your money is a very good question because I can't find any examples of any that exist. <laughs> You know, the, the famous uh, libertarian example that never goes over that well is like HOAs, how people voluntarily opt into HOAs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that example never goes well, though, because anybody that's actually been in one usually hates them. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, there, there's a there's a cool discussion to be had about HOAs in Illinois, specifically where I live. Um, there are many people who live in voluntary HOAs, not only voluntary in the sense of, you know, you, you either you have the choice of moving into a place that has an HOA or not. So there is a voluntary choice there. But in Illinois, there's actually HOAs that don't require monthly payments. And every month, every quarter, every year, the people living in that community get together and decide how they are going to fund the variety of projects that they have going on. So we have that in Illinois. If, if that's what interests people, you can have your own little mini government right there in your community and you can decide how much to give to it. We have them. They're working out fine. So even within that HOA, let's say 49 people in the HOA want to all chip in to have the street sweeped by X company, but one guy doesn't and he doesn't chip in. What, what Does that guy just not get his part of the street sweeped or how, how does that work? Uh, if it's a community project, it happens. Um, the, the way that I've seen it work out is they, they have a, a goal for the community, whether it's planting trees, doing some kind of, some kind of street resurfacing or sidewalk replacement in a variety of different places. And that sort of gets into another common objection, which is this free rider argument or an argument of a beat me to it, some type of a tragedy of the commons arguments that, well, if everybody doesn't pay, is it fair? And isn't, isn't it wrong that somebody should get services if they don't pay for it? I have no problem with that at all. And in fact, I'm, a, I'm actually against the opposite, which would be a stamp system. So I'm against the idea that, for example, if you have a neighborhood and you have a fire department next to it, that you would, you would be required to pay to get a fire department stamp. I'm a believer that all the services provided for the public should not be a buy-in service because that becomes coercive. Now you're being coerced to pay for this fire protection or put your family's safety at risk. Um, and I've never been worried about people not paying. People say, okay, well, what if I don't pay? I say, who cares? You're going to spend your money, put your money out in the economy. The money is going to move around and it's going to end up in the pockets of people who do want to pay. So pay or don't pay. I don't care. I guess one problem or one objection anyway that it, you probably hear a lot is, you know, okay, f no big deal if, you know, one guy doesn't chip in and he happens to get the benefits of whatever it is. Maybe it's street sweeping, maybe it's national defense or police or fire. But what if, you know, 48 people of the 50 don't want to chip in? What if they all say, ah, we're just not going to pay because everyone else will cover it. But turns out they are everybody else. And then, you know, what happens then? Doesn't sound like it was that important of a project, Mark. I guess not, right? I guess they don't right. care and about that, that's the what I, that, That's what I mean. The more, the more you work out these objections, the more you talk them out, the more ridiculous they become. Because, yeah, like you just said, so 48 out of 50 people don't want to contribute to something. So, exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. All right.
it just doesn't happen. And take that on a much larger scale with with government, where you have thousands or millions of people who receive benefits from these programs and services and uh, outcomes like a, like a street you know, potholes being filled and stuff. If people care, they're going to pay for it. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. What sort of programs do you think, or programs, or maybe departments, do you have in mind that will simply cease to exist, um, or at least take on a radically different form, if we took on this sort of approach to government where people just opted into the programs to fund whatever programs or departments they actually deem necessary, as you're describing? Well, the one thing that I always emphasize is localization. So as apolitical as I try to be in regards to allowing people to pay for whatever they want, and I just try to be the messenger here for this idea, I'm a big believer in localization. So the biggest change that I want to see, and that I do believe would happen the more crowdfunded government becomes successful, is programs being done at a higher level will move to the lower level. So things that are being done by the federal government should be done by the states. Things being done by the states should be moved down to the counties and from the counties down to the cities and from the cities down to the neighborhoods. There, there are so many programs that are administered at a level much higher than they're needed to be. Um, in terms of specific examples, you know, the interesting thing about that discussion is I can see as many, I can see as many programs going away under this system as I can flourishing. And it would all depend on the type of community that it's in. So, for example, if it's in the middle of nowhere, Nevada, people are probably going to figure out a way to do things on their own. If it's the communist North Shore of Chicago, they are going to be paying incredible amounts of money to all of their programs because they are very successful currently. They always vote for higher tax increases and they want more programs. So to answer your question, I think it depends on the community. The only thing that I argue is that all these programs should be done as locally as possible. I just think you might see a lot more government in some areas and a lot less in others. I suppose it does stand to reason, uh, logically, that if you know if we have people that consistently vote for their own taxes to be raised, why wouldn't they just voluntarily pay those very same you know amounts of money to, to those same programs? Yeah, a, a lot of people um, who approach me consider this to be like a, like an uh, an, an anti-government idea or some type of an anarchist idea. And I'm always like, well, first of all, hold on, dude. Government's in the name. So not an anarchist idea, I can assure you. Um, but that's the angle that people don't consider is um, this is not this. Just because you give people the chance to pay less does not mean they always will. But it definitely means that they're going to be a lot more selective about what they do. I think you can imagine a lot of programs with waste and inefficiency going away. One of the things that I really push for is transparency with government programs. 
for every government program, there should be a transparent budget listing the labor, materials, assets, and equipment required. That must be the case for every program. And it even, this has always been a good stepping stone too that I've been considering. Even if a government did just that and collected taxes involuntarily, there would be a riot at City Hall overnight. If you actually saw on a detailed budget, much like many corporations and small businesses do every quarter, every year, where they really get down to all their really tiny projects and figure out what's making money and what's not, there would be a riot at City Hall in most cities. I mean, there would be a riot if people even just had to actually pay their taxes. I know that many freelancers and businessmen do that. They actually have to write a check. But so many people in our society have uh, jobs where it's simply removed from their paycheck before they even see it. So they don't feel that pain, that pain that you'd have to feel if you're actually sitting around and looking at programs and deciding, okay, here's what I, here's what's important. Here's what I know I need to fund. So I will send money to that. Uh, I'm curious, I guess, more on, on how do you, you see this working. Do you, do you see it where anybody can contribute any amount? Is it like, I'll go to, a, if, if I'm interested in, in having a military because I'm afraid of terrorists and I think people should go kill them somewhere, like I will go onto the military crowdfund website and will I just like choose a pledge level or like, I mean, or, or is it, or is it such a, a sort of broader concept at this point that the specifics like that don't necessarily matter as much right now? Uh, the specifics don't matter, but everybody likes an answer to a sure. question of how will it work, right? So I, I at least should be able to explain that. Um, I see uh, the first thing that I see is you would basically fund for the future. So you'd be funding for multiple years of a program's budget. I see you funding. This is just an example, but here's a good way I think it could work. You'd be funding a program for three years out, a program for two years out, and then the next year is the program is preparing to operate with the budget that was already funded. And then there's an emergency budget. So essentially, I think a good idea would be three different budgets for each program. And so as time goes on, basically, the programs are adapting to the different amounts that they're receiving. And you have the opportunity to fund more for the future or less for the future based on the current results that you're seeing. And also, if there's ever an emergency, and I think like a, a FEMA or a military are probably great examples of where the needs might change overnight for how much money they need for versus what they budgeted. That's where the, the beauty of the, the fundraiser comes in, where the president comes on TV and he's got the red thermometer next to him. And he's telling you, listen, China just bombed a few of our military bases overseas. We got to ramp up. I need $100 billion. Let's go. Right? So that's the, that's the beauty of the, the crowdfunding government would be that it would always be ready to adapt to emergency situations. And it would always allow you to, pr to prepare for the future, to see what programs are currently receiving a lot, planning for the future, and which ones aren't. And it would be ready to adapt for that. And I guess to give you a final answer, um, one option that should always be available, you should always be allowed to pay exactly what you paid last year for every program in existence. It doesn't have to be complicated, Mark. Click the button, put the money in the slot, bye-bye till next, next year. That's it. What about just corruption overall? I think you'd probably agree with me that you can never eliminate the concept. There's always going to be people that are trying to uh, one-up the system, whatever that system may be. But how do you prevent, let's say, I don't know, like 
a massive propaganda campaign. Uh, let's say that president comes on TV and says we need these hundred billion dollars, and uh, he was able to, uh, you know, create some propaganda, create a fake terrorist event, a false flag, who knows what, uh, to convince people to, you know, send them all this money. How do you prevent organizations that are powerful from, I guess, just propaganda propagandizing their way into uh, a similar situation they're in now? That's a much worse situation under our current system. Because that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. They have to ask you for it. Right. So at least we would have the chance. But no, you, you do bring up a really good argument, which is what if government does bad things? And I got to tell you, if you don't like government, you're not going to like crowdfunding government. Government's in the name. So there are many bad things that can happen with government. And you brought up a perfect example, propaganda, false information, scaring people, making, forcing them to make emotional decisions instead of logical decisions. That's the kind of things that governments have done since the beginning of time. And a crowdfunded government isn't going to change that. I just want to give you the chance to see past the facade, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, go on social media, write some blogs, and explain to people why what the government is saying is not true. That's, that's what we can't do right now. Right now, whatever the government decides, you just, you just spent it. Thank I mean, we, you for we, your... we, we can say it's not true, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At, at, least, at least what the crowdfunding government does that's better is it gives a final vote with your dollars. You still vote for the politician under our current system and under a crowdfunding government, but the final vote is with your dollar. So if you elect somebody and you did believe in him, and all of a sudden, he's proposing these crazy, stupid programs, and he's got his party going along with him. And all of a sudden, that's what's available for you to pay for? Forget about it. I don't want any of it. I'm not paying for any of it. You just cancel your, uh, you cancel your credit card that goes to that, you know, that program or whatever it is. That's right. That's right. I, I'm not going to check the box for that program or that group of programs next year because I think those are complete, uh, complete nonsense programs. And so even though government can and will in the future always do terrible things to people, crowdfunded government is the last resort against tyranny. It's the last resort against propaganda. Because it gives us a chance to ask a question, what do you want to spend your money on? Which is currently never asked, and in fact is a laughable topic currently with politics. Uh, something you mentioned a little bit earlier that I want to circle back to, you mentioned that you actually believe we could co-opt those interests, uh, you know, the special interests, the, the, the forces that currently lobby government to do things for them, that we could actually uh, bring them to our side, so to speak, our side being, you know, what you're proposing here, crowdfunded government. Uh, so how, how do you actually see that playing out? Why would these organizations uh, that do seem to do so well by sucking off the teat of government and just simply paying politicians, you know, whatever it is, to gain a much larger profit, uh, why would they be interested even in a crowdfunded government? What advantages would, would there be for them? I think those corporations and those marketing, let's call them lobbyists or marketing agents, those people would have to craft their message to the people. And I don't see it as purely adversarial. I see it as the fact that I finally get a chance for Boeing to explain to me all this cool stuff that they're doing. Now, of course, you might have to redact some information for national security purposes, and that's fine. You can still get your point across. And I don't, I don't see them as becoming this incredibly evil group of, uh, a group of people and interests that would be completely against the idea because there's still future money to be made. They just have to explain it better to us. And all those lobbyists, 
they're not going out of work. There's going to be plenty of work to be done explaining to the people what needs to be paid for and why it's important. There's always the need for enlightened experts in us in these types of systems that we have. So I don't I don't believe that there that necessarily this must result in uh, an adversarial deal. This could very well become collaborative, which would be that these these companies and these people actually want to to convince us and do a good job because they make more money by doing so. In some ways, you could say lobbying becomes a, a bigger industry. It's just an industry that instead of having to buy off a couple politicians, they have to just convince the world or the country or the community or whatever it may be to give them this money instead of just convincing one guy. Yeah, and the greatest part about it, too, is it returns a lot of the power to the little guy in regards to the way that social media works now. The influencers, and this is what really makes me upset about the way our political system works. There are so many smart people who know incredible amounts of information about these very small, important parts of government that they just have this information and nothing to do with it. Can you imagine if you had the corporations currently making money on one side, feeding some propaganda, and then you had these influencers who are experts in that specific topic going back and forth in a battle of facts, not just emotions and not just, you know, red team, blue team, rah, 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 but actually, you know what, program 1526 which is operated by the Department of Defense, is a good one for these reasons and a bad one for these reasons. Can you imagine that the type of discourse that would necessarily result from allowing us to make more choice with our money? I'm just envisioning like mo- modern day Instagram influencers like doing live streams talking about you know the defense budget and that sort of thing. I love it. I, I, I love it. And if you take all the energy especially, and this is what really kills me, a lot of people would still be interested in politics, the whole red, blue, rah, rah, rah battle between the two. But a lot of those people would rather put their efforts towards discussing policy. It's just that there's no opportunity to do so under our current system. There's so much energy and knowledge out there that is currently not being used and put towards the best use. I think the best use for their knowledge is to social media to explain to us what the best things are and are not currently running in government. And yeah, I, I bet you, and I keep, I always say this, that there are no stupid people. I truly believe that there are no stupid people. That's another common objection. Are people too stupid for crowdfunding government? Don't we all need to be led like lamb to the slaughter? No, I don't think any of us do. Everybody has talents. Everybody has interests. Everybody's smart. I've never talked to somebody who thinks they're stupid. They just think that they're smart about about certain things. And even those Instagram influencers, they, they might seem pretty stupid sometimes, but they're probably an expert at something. If they, if they put their mind to it, they could provide a lot of good information to the people who follow them. And that's the type of environment that I want to see. I want to see one that moves towards collaborative politics, where we all work together to figure out what to spend our money on as opposed to divisional politics where red stupid blue stupid you're stupid he's stupid she's stupid i'm curious what kind of response you get from people of different persuasions political persuasions to this idea obviously um now despite the uh, the uh, objections to the word government that a lot of anarchists and ancaps might have uh, i think a lot of them will still find these ideas amenable at least way better than you know our current coercive system but what about the reaction you get from say progressives or conservatives do you get a, a positive response do you get a lot of pushback Well, I had a great experience recently with that border wall debate and how people were voluntarily funding the border wall. It's like 
I created that campaign because of how successful it was for me to reach out to people on both sides of the aisle. I could talk to conservatives and say, hey, what do you think about this voluntarily funding the border wall thing? And they were like, this is the greatest idea ever. I just gave 50 bucks. You go talk to a progressive. What do you think? I think the border wall is a stupid, immoral thing. And I would never give any money to that. And I say, but you, but you are. Don't you wish you didn't have to? Well, yeah, but that's not possible. I'm like, well, listen, welcome to crowdfunding government. It's a pleasure to have you a part of the movement. <laughs> because no matter what their answer, if they hate it or love it, it proves your point either way, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So those are the types of topics that I really like because they're so divisive, but they're currently divisive in a sense of red-blue, and I want them to be divisive in the sense of I disagree, collaborative um, divisiveness, if you'll have it. I disagree with the border wall. I think that money would be much better spent on the Department of Education, and I think that's a much better discussion than the border wall is stupid and Republicans are stupid. Right. You're trying to at least bring um, a real conversation to the to these ideas and these concepts, um, and sort of remove our, our I guess predispositions to a political ideology or a, a team, I should say, more so than ideology, uh, which a lot of these things represent, and bring it back to look. If we want these things to happen, uh, we have to decide and convince each other that they are worthy of happening and worthy of funding. Yeah, I'm a believer that that that's that should be the future of politics. It should be a discussion. It should be a debate, but it shouldn't be shaming and hate. There should be something much more. There should be something much more substantive that I wake up to every day in my Twitter timeline. No shaming and no debate. Uh, no shaming and no hate. Let's have a debate. There, I'm trying to come up with a catchphrase for you live. Yeah, th- there, there you go. And if you disagree <laughs> with somebody, prove it to them. Show them the budget. Tell them, show them how wasteful it is. Make the case. But telling me that a program is stupid and therefore I should vote for their preferred politician who supports a thousand things that I disagree with is just a stupid conversation. Theodore, I'm curious if you view this idea of crowdfunded government as the end goal, like what you see as as like the sort of the, the best or ideal society, or do you see it as a transition to something that might be like what a more traditional anarcho-capitalist might see, where it's truly just private companies and, and people hiring services and that sort of thing? I know you did raise the objection to like the you know the pay-per-service sort of thing earlier um, and, and explain that, but I'm just curious how you see this whole whole thing playing out ideally, You know, if you see this as the actual end goal or, or something else. I'm a believer that crowdfunding government as a system, as a movement, should be the end goal. So I'm apolitical. I'm nonpartisan. The only political opinions that I have is that government should be more local and it should be voluntarily funded. And that's it. And everybody else can take this idea and go the directions that they want to. And that's where I've had a lot of success with anarchists is they see this as a great transition to the society that they would want, which would be one with no government, with all private services voluntarily um, funded, uh, just without the, the politicians and the voting and the government. So perfect. That, that's, exactly the, that's exactly the type of approach that I try to take. I try to give everybody something in this idea, and you can take it the direction you want. I'm just going to stay ideologically pure with my voluntarist ideas regarding funding government. 
So tell me a little bit about what, I guess, the grand scheme is. I mean, you gave some ideas about how this could be implemented, but in terms of your personal plan with crowdfunded government, what are you guys doing? What sort of content are you producing? Obviously, you're going on podcasts and trying to talk about this as much as possible as step one, but uh, tell me a little bit more about the team you've been building and the sort of actions that you're taking in the short term to actually bring more attention to this idea and actually hopefully see it uh, play out to some extent. Well, yeah, you're right that education is step one and getting out there and talking to the the most number of people is the easiest done through podcasts uh, like your own. You know, a lot of people are going to hear this and a lot of people are going to ask themselves, how how can they get involved if they agree with the idea? And that's always been a step two is we need to find politicians and we need to find people who want to be politicians to try these ideas out um, in regards to allowing more voluntary choice where the money goes. So First step, though, is getting the idea out there because this is one of those ideas that people have in the back of their head when they're paying their taxes every year. Man, I wish I didn't have to pay for the military. I wish I could pay more for education. And the idea just goes away. So the first thing that I want to do is get the idea out there that it's a real philosophy. And the stupid objections that are nagging at you in the back of your head are not objections if you really think about them. So get the idea out there, educate, and then have people do small experiments. I, I've, I've uh, recently talked to somebody who was proposing it at um, a, uh, a uh, at a political party. Um, they were having like a monthly meeting in their city, and he was just going to propose the idea. And that's great. That's the direction that we want to go. Just propose the idea, spread the idea, and as small as possible, incremental as possible, pragmatically as possible, get the idea out there. And I'm very realistic, Mark. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year. I have set a thousand-year deadline on the idea. <laughs> now, that's complete, a long-term goal. It's completely okay, though, because if we've had thousands and thousands of years of oppressive, tyrannical, uh, collectivist, authoritarian funding of government, to expect it to change overnight is unrealistic. So I've never taken it as a failure that I haven't I haven't voluntarily crowdfunded the U.S. federal budget yet. That's okay. <laughs> you know, it's one of these things that. We're going to slowly talk to people, slowly spread the idea, overcome the same objections over and over again. I'm more than happy to do it. That's the role that I want to play. I just want to be the philosopher. I just want to be the the person who defends the idea to the death and then have other people out there who are more interested in politics than I am um, actually going out there and fighting the ground game, winning elections and convincing politicians to try out this idea. And the more people that I educate and the, the better a job that I do arguing the position, the faster the idea eventually gets to that point. So you basically want to be like the original Jedi master and you want to hopefully over time here create other Jedis that go and spreading this religion, so to speak, not to call it a religion, but you know what I mean. And hopefully yeah. thousands of years down the line, when the time is right, there's enough people and enough support for it that the idea is really ready to take shape. That's right. And uh, I think every every day moves a little bit closer to that ultimate goal. And my my interest, obviously, especially if you look at the blog that I have, crowdfundedgovernment.com, I try to write, but I'm just so lazy. I just I just want to talk to people about the idea. That's why I love Twitter, because whenever I'm bored, I can just stop on there really quick, go find some authoritarian collectivist sometime who's saying, like, but who will build the roads if there wasn't taxes? And I'll just pop in for a few minutes, you know, make a post and get out of there. Um, that's really my interest is speaking, talking, debating, but not necessarily writing. I'm really bad at writing. I, I wish I was more motivated and I wish I was simply a better writer. So this is this is sort of where I feel I can do the best 
for this movement and ultimately for humanity, Mark. This is for this is for your grandchildren's grandchildren, this idea that I'm trying to push. And I'm sure you feel the same way about the ideas that you push as well. Absolutely. I don't, I don't show up in front of this microphone uh, every week just because uh, I want to be a billionaire. I mean, I assume it's going to happen eventually, but, <laughs> but we'll <laughs> no, we're right. That that's, yeah, that's the whole goal here is bo- both of us are spreading ideas that we believe are ultimately going to make the future a better place for us to live in and future communities to live in well past the time that we're gone, as long as people adhere to the sorts of principles that that you and I espouse. Well, Theodore, I think this is certainly an idea that a lot of libertarians will at least find interesting and, and something to uh, to think further about. But I, th- I think more so what I like a lot about your idea here is that you could bring this, like you've sort of described that you have with certain issues, to someone with a more status mentality and explain it to them. And it can it can make a lot of sense. And even just getting someone thinking in a different way about government, even if it doesn't lead them directly to Ancapistan or, you know, what a lot of listeners of this program would want them to be led directly to, it can start that process of just thinking, well, well, he's got some good points. Like, why why do we just fund these things without, without, you know, without actually seeing the budgets or without thinking about, you know, who's actually benefiting and that sort of thing? Yeah. And I also I find it the greatest response to the question, but who will build the roads? Because the answer to that is the same people that do now. But Crowdfunding government provides a much better answer than even the same people who will build it now. And that's that's one thing that I think I can really provide people with is if whether you're discussing with a moderate like you were discussing or a radical like I'm talking about, we can all get behind this idea. The only people that don't get behind this idea, by the way, are authoritarian collectivists. And I am ready to go toe to toe with every single one of them until they are until they're blue in the face and I'm blue in the face. I'm ready to go because authoritarian collectivism is not a logical position. It is the it is the most illogical, emotional, political argument that you can make that we should all put our money together and have somebody tell us what to do with it because we're all too stupid and too busy to figure it out. Well, Theodore, thank you so much for coming on and telling us more about crowdfunding government. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just give one little roundup of all the ways they can find you, uh, find the other podcast you've been on, find your uh, writing to whatever extent you decide to keep doing it, and, of course, your Twitter and all that great stuff. The blog is www.crowdfundedgovernment.com, and that's where you'll find a few essays that I've penned. What is crowdfunded government? The frequently asked questions and links to all the podcast appearances that I've done. And where you'll find me most of the time is in the mean streets of Twitter. I'm at (laughs) crowdfundedgov, and I am there to battle your statist uncle. Bring me your hate. As much as I enjoy people telling me, oh, I love the podcast. That was great, blah, blah, blah. Cool, good. But bring me that that person that always bothers you whenever you say taxation is theft. Bring them to me. I want the debate. I want people telling me how stupid the idea is. I love criticism. I love arguing. I can't get enough of people disagreeing with me. And I go back and forth for two weeks with people about how stupid my idea is. That's great because not only am I hopefully one day changing their mind, but I'm, I'm allowing other people to check out the battle between these ideas and see which side they fall on. So bring me your hate at crowdfundedgov. So what you're trying to tell me is uh, you're going to keep on roaring out there, Theodore. That, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm roaring, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Theodore. Keep up the great work, man. Keep on roaring. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Theodore of Crowd 
funded government. Hope it gets the wheels turning. And if you have thoughts and you want to share them with us, well, you can tweet to us at Lions of Liberty. You can join our public forum on Facebook, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Not to be confused with the very secret, very elite personal secret Facebook group. I guess it's not personal. There's more than one person in it. But uh, but the secret Facebook group that you get access to by joining our Patreon again, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That is how you get access to all of our bonus audio and video content. And now you can join for as little as $2 a month just to get access to that secret Facebook group where you will get the live streams of our drunken Democratic debate recaps. The debates can be tough to get through, but we have such a fun time recapping them and drinking and having fun with fellow libertarians. We often bring in some special guests. Uh, Last time, Remzo Martinez and Trisha Stewart joined us. This week, we're going to have some more special guests. We're going to have Car Campit of the Friends Against Government podcast, a fun show, one I've been on, Howie's been on, and I believe Brian has been on it as well. I try not to listen to other shows with him on it, because frankly, we hear enough every Wednesday. What a transition on Electric Liberty Land, where Brian McWilliams brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty. And of course, my man John Odermatt wraps things up with his hard-hitting and very, very inspirational look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get all three of these podcasts each and every week without a break, without a Christmas break, without a summer vacation, none of that stuff. You get them each and every week for the price of one, and the price is free. So hit that subscribe button. Don't miss a thing. And if you really got to pay us some money, again, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Uh, those drunken debate caps, by the way, will be in the public feed eventually. We'll probably drop them on days when we don't have a regular podcast. So you'll probably get one of them. Uh, Tuesday night's debate you'll likely hear on Thursday in the main feed, and then you'll hear the uh, Wednesday debate recap. The, the debates are th- Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Uh, you'll hear the Wednesday debate recap on Saturday, unless, of course, you join the Patreon, you join the Lions of Liberty Pride, you can see that live stream for as little as two bucks a month, or for five and above, you'll get, um, afterwards, you'll get in your your secret Patreon uh, RSS feed, you'll get the audio of that that very night, and the video as well. So, either way, so many ways to access these very, very fun and entertaining, if I do say so myself, debate recaps. Looking forward to having some special guests. I didn't even finish telling you, we're having Car Camp it on for the Friends Against Government, and then also, uh, Jen the Libertarian will be joining us as well. So, uh, we're going to keep rotating in special guests to try to mix things up because, I mean, how, how much can you just hear from the same people, these same lions each and every week? Well, hopefully a lot because we, we need you to keep coming back and we're going to keep coming back. So as long as we both keep coming back and having these conversations about the ideas of liberty, hopefully eventually, hopefully not quite the thousand year plan that Theodore laid out. Hopefully maybe the 10, 15, 20 year plan. I don't know when we're going to reach Libertopia, guys. Hoping to see it in my lifetime. And the best way to do that is to keep listening to this podcast. Keep on roaring with us. Until next time, friends, live long and live free.